Hello, and welcome back to Ferry Unfiltered. I've took a wee break, well, quite a big break to be honest with you from the podcast, but I'm making my glorious return. And I'm going to start with probably the most difficult episode that I'm ever going to do. This is one that I've avoided doing, and probably part of the reason why I've not went back to doing the podcast. I have recorded something like 20 odd episodes, and I've been on other podcasts, but you know, the one thing that was highlighted to me was I've never actually sat and told my story about what happened to me and taking you back to 2017 when I was diagnosed with cancer. Now, I probably could have spoke about it. I probably maybe should have ripped a plaster off straight away, but I didn't. And it was it was highlighted to me because... It's probably something that I should look at putting to bed and facing facing my demons and also getting over it because it's, it's still like a trauma. And as much as people see me and see me putting on like a, a strong face and, oh, I'm fine and basically acting like I'm constantly okay when sometimes I'm just really not. So this is what this episode's going to be about. It's going to be about me telling you my story. And will I find it easy? No. Because it's like reopening a wound. And it's partly why I had to take a step back from working with Bill Cancer UK. I mean, I loved him and it was fantastic. But each year was like the wound being reopened. And each year you would get an influx of messages and each year you were reminded of your difficult times and I wouldn't say I'm I'm ready I'm more prepared for it this year. The reason I'm more prepared for it this year is yep, last year I got the all clear and that was me pretty much signed off. This year I have to go for a scope and pretty much that is me. So I'll be able to put it to bed. I believe a lot of things are changing in my life. I believe a lot of things are happening and me doing this today is gonna just add a wee bit of closure. So firstly, thanks very much for joining me back on this episode. Let's just get started, eh? I'm going to take you back to July 2017. We had recently just took a team up to run Tough Murder, and it was great. It was a brilliant day. I had a lot of fun. And shortly after that, I'd started experiencing really bad stomach cramps. And I was like, these are weird. I didn't really know what was happening. Now, I did what I usually try to do when I was like, oh, just man up, Chris, you'll be fine. Now, it got pretty bad. So I decided I'd really better go to the doctor about this. Off I went, went to the doctor. And my doctor went, you're in tough mother. And I went, yeah. And you went, did you know there was an e- an outbreak of E. coli up there? I went, I did not. He went, well, there you are. Let's go and do some tests. So off I went and we did some tests, did some blood tests, blah, blah, blah. Phoned back. Results came back. Oh, you don't have E. coli, Chris. And I was like, all right then. I was like, maybe everyone will just go away. So that's what I did. Now that was July. Roll on January. 2018 and I was just a mess at this point my stomach was swelling up 
I was getting really, really bad stomach cramps and I just didn't have the answers for anything. I, I'm not gonna, I, I look pregnant sometimes. It was really bizarre. Now, my thought and my theory in my head was before I go back to the doctor over the, <laughs> from the July to the January was I would start stripping my diet apart. So what I did was I started taking dairy completely out. It didn't work. I then looked at gluten. It didn't work. Pains me to say it. I cut back in carbs. It didn't work. And <laughs> I made sure my water intake was really, really high. So I tried like a variation of all different things. My method in the madness was when I go back to them, when I actually decide I'm going to go back to them, was they can't really turn around and say to me, you want to try this, you need to try this. So in the January I went back and I explained and the doctor sat me down and says, look, you've done everything I'm going to, I was going to ask you to do. So the other option now is to do a scope. Now, to my delight, I was like, well, wasn't really my delight at all. Maybe it's to some people's delight, but it wasn't to mine. But I was like, right, okay, fair enough. If this is going to help solve it, then let's do it. So off I went. Now, when you're sitting there or lying there, with a tube up your arse, it is not in any way a pleasant experience. The drugs are pretty good, but that is about it. What they were seeing was, they said they'd found polyps on my bowel. Now, they were like, there's quite a lot of polyps here. And I was like, I, to be fair, it was the first time I'd actually heard of this. And I was like, all right, okay, what's that? And they were like, look, what we're going to do is we're going to remove them. They were asking me questions like, do I drink fizzy juice, a lot of fizzy juice, is it my diet? They're like, I'm assuming your diet's pretty good. And I'm like, are you getting this from checking out my arse? I don't know how you're getting this, but I was like, yeah, my diet's pretty good, I... Now, they were basically trying to remove as many as they could, and they said it's going to get quite uncomfortable. What we'll do is we'll remove so many just now, and then we're going to book you back in. I was like, right, cool. So the doctor, he removed as many as he could, and he said, right, we're going to stop there, get you booked back in, and we'll take it. We'll take it on to the next one. So the next one, I mean, what a fantastic gift he gave me on Father's Day. 2018 was to go for a second scope. So now off I went and got this second scope. But through it, it got so painful and my stomach just started spasm, spasming and it was agony. And the, the nurse was like, Chris, shouldn't you be with this? And I'm like, look, I'm in bits here. She's like, mm, this isn't right. And I'm like, like keep, try to keep going. I just want to get this over and done me. And she was trying, and she's like, I'm going to have to stop you. Like, this, you look like you're, you're, literally you're going to pass out here. It's, and I was like, oh, this is agony. This is horrendous. So she stopped, and that was that. She goes, well, I'm going to arrange for your original, uh, your original daughter that did the scope to do this again. And I was like, right, no problem at all. So third time lucky, and I went back to Wishy. And it was the original doctor. So he done the scope, and he went, oh. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, not exactly something you want to hear when somebody's got a tube up your arse. And I was like, yeah, what's up? He went, well, you see, there's a polyp here, and it's sitting just behind your bowel. And I was like, right. And he went, mm, it's quite an awkward area for me to try and remove it. 
And I was like, right, okay. He says, look, what I'm going to do is, one of my colleagues, she's a female doctor in Glasgow, I would actually like to send you through to her. Um, she's, where it's sitting, I would actually rather she removed that polyp. I was like, right, okay. He says, so we'll just finish everything here. I'm going to send, get a biopsy, but I mean, nothing to worry about here. Get a biopsy done and we'll send it away and then I'll book here with her and then you'll get a letter in to go to Glasgow. Aye, no problem. So off I went. It was about two weeks and I got a letter, I got a message or a letter in to say that I had an appointment on the Monday at 8.45, which I thought was very, very early for an appointment. And I remember the night before, no necessarily, it, my gut just didn't sit, obviously my gut didn't sit right with me, my gut was just not sitting right with me, I, I thought there's something funny about this. I remember being at Sophia's wee pal's party, and Laura's like, you alright? And I'm like, aye, she's like, is this worrying you the morning? I was like, I don't know why, is there just something weird about it, like being at that time? Now, my mum worries what way the wind blows sometimes, and my mum was saying, would you want me to go to it? Now, at the time I'm 33, I tell it reading my notes there, I'm like, was I 33? I was 33 and I was like, do you want me to go with you? I was like, mum, I'm a 33-year-old man. You do not need to go to the hospital with me. I'll be absolutely fine. So off I went, got there, surprisingly on time for me, and I was in the wee room, and the nurse came and she says, eh, doctor, I'll not say the names, doctor is running late. I said, right, that's no problem. I says, look, tell them I'm working from home today. I says, so what I'll do is... If you want, I'll just come back down whenever it's convenient for him. I said, I don't want him to feel he's rushing or just tell me to focus on what he's doing. She went, that's really good. Thanks very much. I'll go and say that to him. So off she went and she was like, look, I, I spoke to the doctor and he said no. He said that he wants you to stay and if you just wait where you are. Now, at that point, I was like, there's something funny going on here. Now my gut definitely does not sit right with us. Give it, I don't know, 15, 20, 30 minutes. I don't really know. It's all quite a bit of a blur, to be honest with you now. The doctor came in and I knew with his face there was something wrong. Now, he didn't come in by himself. He came in with a nurse. He sat down and he's like, oh, so Chris, I've no easy way of saying this. You have cancer. And I remember just sitting there and just looking at him and just like, what? I remember my wedding ring being on and I was just spinning it and spinning it and spinning it and just kept spinning. It was going faster and faster. And he's like, look, Chris, the polyp was sitting behind your bowel. Your lower bowel is actually, we've done the biopsy. It's actually cancerous. And we need to remove this fast. So person sitting beside me just now is Eleanor and she's now going to be your cancer nurse and I was just like hold on a minute here this this isn't right like what are you talking about I, I eat well I train I look after myself I'm a good person how am I getting cancer now these are the thoughts that were going through my head that does not mean bad people get cancer in any way I was just looking at it and going Karma? What the fuck? Like, wh what have I done? Like, what have I done to deserve this the blow in life? And he says, look, what we're going to need to do is we're, we're going to need to operate. 
and we're going to need to remove the lower part of your bill. And I was just like, I, 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 he says, what we need to do is today I'm going to leave you talking to Eleanor and we're going to talk about what's going to happen next. I'm going to let all this sink in. It's a lot to take in. But Eleanor will be with you now. And if I'll, I'll arrange the next appointment. And if you can bring somebody along, let your wife along with you. Or somebody you feel you don't want to bring along with you. And we can talk about the next steps after this. And then he left. And it was me and Eleanor. And I just sat looking at Eleanor and I just... I don't didn't really know what else he said. He probably said a lot more. And Eleanor says, right, Chris... Two options here. You can go away. We can arrange a scan. Or we go and do it just now. Do you want to go and do it just now? We get this over and done with. We get everything moving faster. And we start to see what the next stage is to do. What the next steps are after this. And I just nodded. And I just remember standing up. Or opening the door. Or talking to me. But she knew I wasn't listening. We walked in the hall and we sat outside the scan room and I waited to be called and I went in, I got the drip in my arm, the thing that I had to put in my arm or whatever I had to do. I got changed into the robes and I went in. I got scanned and then I went home. But all of that just seemed like such a blur. The really random thing as well about it was when I was, everything just never felt real. It didn't even feel that real when I was driving home. I didn't phone MD. I didn't play any music in the radio. I drove and I dropped my car off to get fixed. I was dropping my car off to get fixed after it. So I dropped it off like normal, gave the keys in, nodded and smiled. You up too much today, Chris? No, mate, nothing much. Just gonna just gonna walk down to the gym and get Laura. Put on this fake fake smile and off I went. And I walked and I remember just just being in a total daze. And I remember walking through that garage and then all of a sudden being outside the gym. When I was outside the gym though, I text my sister and I says to Kirsten, I says, look, um, I need to go and do something with Laura this afternoon. Is there any way you could come down and cover Laura's gym shift just to let her away? It's only for a couple of hours, maybe one or two hours. She takes back. She was like, yeah, it's no bother. I'm not up too much today anyway, so I'll come down. And that was that. No questions asked. And then I went. I knew Laura was just about finishing the mum and baby class that she runs. So I sat outside for a wee minute and five minutes if I was lucky and I went, I'll go in now, because that'll be them just finishing up. And then I went, and all the mums and the babies were just leaving. How are you, Chris? You all right? Oh, I'm great. How are you? You all right? And I'm, like, I'm great. And, like, and just putting on this fakeness, with smiles and nods, and I, how are you? I, I, how yeah. And um, they all left. And I remember the gym just being silent. There was just a random dance tunes in the back room, but they were turned down very low as Laura was tidying up. And I went through the gym side into the studio side. 
And Laura was like cleaning the big blue mat that we've got with the babies to sit on. She's cleaning the blue mat. And she's like, so how did you get on? And I just... I went, I just went numb. And I just said to her, I was like, Laura, I've, I've got cancer. And I remember her turning around and she was like, what? And I was like, did you get cancer? And she just fell to her knees. And I, I just felt useless. I just felt I had no answers because she was like, but how, how far along are you? Has it spread? Where, where is it? I said, it's in my bowel. And she's like, so what's the next stages? I was like, I don't, I don't know. I just went for a scan and I don't know. They're going to, they're going to phone me. I have to phone. She said, what, do you, what have you phoned for? And I was like, I have to phone. And, um, and I was like, M, M, M. And I just felt like I couldn't remember what to say. And I was like, I have to phone and they're going to find out if it's anywhere else. And she said, what the fuck do you mean if it's anywhere else? I was like, they don't know if it's spread. They don't know if it's anywhere else. And she's howling, crying. She's like, this can't happen to you. And I'm like, well, apparently it is. And then just then my sister came in. Laura's crying. I'm sitting on a bench crying. And Kirsten's like, what, what the hell's happened? What is it? And I said to her, I just, Laura couldn't even talk. She's like, it just was, couldn't talk. And I was like, Kirsten, I've, I've got cancer. And she was like, but how? How can you have cancer? How can you? How can you have cancer? No, it's not you, not you. And I'm like, I. I was like, I don't know. I was like, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. And I, kept, I was apologising. And I'm like, I felt horrible. I, I, had to, I just had to leave the gym. I, I, had to, I was like, I need to get out of here. And I had to leave Kirsten. And Laura came after me. And I had to phone my mum. And I was like, to my mum, you in the house? Laura phoned my mum. And my Laura phoned my mum and we were driving down. And she says, eh, are you in? And she's like, my mum's like, what is it? She went, how many come down and see you? She knew there was something wrong. Do you know what I mean? She knew. So I remember going in and my mum just looked at me and I was like, oh, fuck. And my mum's like, just looking, I could see her t eyes just welling up, and I had to say to her, and she's like, I knew I should have came with you this morning, <laughs> I was like, mum, I still would have said, I still would have said no, I still would have, I, I don't, she's like, I can't believe you were there yourself, and Laura's saying, can you believe you were there yourself, and you need to find a suit yourself, but I mean, you don't expect these things, you don't expect these things, so, my mum's like, I'm going to need, I'm phoning your dad, I was like, right. So she phoned my dad and she said, John, you need to come home. She goes, Christopher's, Christopher's got some results for the hospital. And my dad's like, don't tell me, they're no good. And she said, look, just come home. So my dad came home and he says to my dad, and I just remember, I don't really remember much, I just remember my dad coming in the living room and me sitting on the couch 
my dad sat <laughs> in his usual spot, corner, and uh, I just said to him, I just burst out crying, and he gave me like, the biggest hug, and just told me everyone would be alright. But at that point, I just didn't know if everything would be okay. And I just didn't have any answers. I must have called the hospital twice a day when I, the minute I found out. The results just felt like they weren't coming quick enough. I just never slept. I just lay awake at night wondering and just thinking of like worst case scenarios. I think every day he's oh, such a positive guy. See, when you get hit a blow like that, I found it really difficult to find any positivity, especially at that moment. I found it really, really difficult. I tried to be positive. I really did. And I kept calling and calling. And the thought of it being spread or being anywhere else was just, I was crumbling. I was just crumbling each day. By the Friday, we found out that it hadn't spread and it wasn't anywhere else. And you're like, thank the Lord that there's, it's, it's where it is and it's not anywhere else. Now, let's look at dealing with this and look at, well, what's the next steps? So the next steps were to meet the surgeon and slash doctor that was the same person uh, meet the the doctor that had done the scope and the one that had told me in the room of doom it was the room of doom that Laura and I named it after that maybe we should have named it something a lot nicer but for a good while it was called the room of doom so we went back there and again it was a doctor and it was Eleanor and they sat us down and this time I brought Laura with me because Laura says look this will be a lot for you to take in. I'm going to be there. I'm going to hold your hand all the way through this. And also, I'm going to be listening when you're not. She knows me too well. So, in we went, and they came down, and they didn't, they didn't, and they didn't have to sugarcoat it in any way. It is what it is. Their job was to tell me what the steps were next, what was going to be happening, and what could happen. During that whole time that you've got cancer and you're going for these operations, you're always told what the worst case scenarios could be. Sometimes I just listen to them. I didn't listen to, there's a 0.1% chance, Chris, that this could happen. Mines are always like, there's what? One multiplied by, there's 10% chance? Never said that, Chris. All right. I, I was quite bad like that. So when it came to this point, they explained to me that where it was, they were going to have to operate on it. They were going to have to remove the lower part of my bowel. With this, they were going to have to fit me with a temporary stoma bag. When I look back at myself and my, my reaction to it, I would like to give myself a slap in the face, but at the same point, I'd never been dealt that card before, and I didn't know what to do. So... When they told me that, I was just like, no, no, fuck off. I'm not doing it. I, no, no, I'm not doing it. Just cut me open, 
cut it out, sew me back up, send me back up the road, I'll be fine. It wasn't like that. The reason they fit me with a temporary stoma bag was where my bowel was getting cut, they couldn't afford for any leakages. If there was any leakages and it went into me, then it was just going to cause infection. It was just nasty. So I was like, I was like, no, I was very, very adamant that I wasn't doing this. Then I remember the doctor turning around to me and saying, look, Chris, where it's sitting is going to move fast, especially because of your age, especially because you're a fit young man. Now, where it is going to, and he told me all these different areas it would attack and the cancer could spread to X, Y, and Z. The one that struck me and the cord that just was like, ding, I was like, was a, it would spread to my pancreas. I remember going silent, feeling sick, my hand shaking, and him just, he knew he'd, he knew he'd hit the right chord there, and he went, do you know somebody with pancreatic cancer? I just, no, I didn't even talk, I just nodded. And then he went, you know there's no turning back from pancreatic cancer? And I just nodded. Now, one of my really close friends, Ross, was dying of pancreatic cancer at the time. I worked with Ross for years in Slaters. I loved him. I really did. Like, he was eccentric. He was mental. I mean, he was the type of guy who owned, like, 150, 200 suits. Every suit had a shirt and tie that matched him. His socks matched him. I'm the re- this, he's the reason my socks and my boxers match my tie and my shirt when I go on a night out. Um, he's the reason why everyone has to be colour-coordinated. And I just remember them telling me this and all I could think he was Ross. Again, like Laura said, she was lucky she was there because after that I was not really listening. Now, we'll talk about Ross more during this, but they started telling me more. They started telling me more scenarios that could happen. I was 33. Sophia was just so wee. And they say to me, look, you might need radio or you might need chemotherapy. With you might needing these, it can affect your chances of having children again. And I was just, again, if you know me, my girls are my world. And bombarding Laura with having a troop is like a broken record. So I just nodded and just said to them, fit me with a stoma bag. So that was that. There was other things they told me. I don't remember. I can't really remember what this is. I wrote them down in my notes, but... At the end of the day, Eleanor calmed everything down. Eleanor was, like, my voice of reasoning. She was like the wee angel on my shoulder that was telling me everything that I had to do. And I just knew that she was doing the right things for me and making sure that she was looking after Laura and I. I'd met my surgeon. He was called Mr Shally. He was a big, tall, quiet man, really well-dressed. I always remember he wore a waistcoat. I know, really random remembering that. I don't know. I don't know how I felt about him at the beginning, but I suppose you don't really know how you feel about AMD if they're going to be slicing you open. But 
it gave you a lot of peace of mind when you were in hospital and you were talking to consultants and nurses when they spoke so highly of him. They were, he was like a bit of a celebrity when you told him he was doing your operation. Like, oh my God, I can't believe Mr. Shelley's doing your operation. Oh, you won't get MD better than that. And I was like, hmm, that's nice to know. Even my surgeon that diagnosed me told me that he would rather Mr. Shelley did this operation than him, which being in that profession must take quite a bit to say that you, you would rather somebody else operate. And I put my trust in everybody. So I went along with it. After I'd been told all the horror stories and everything that was going on, they had to be repeated to me again. I understood this was part of the procedure, but it was it was difficult to hear. One of the things I had to do was they didn't like receive earlier on know if I was going to need radio or chemotherapy. Being thirty three and getting told that is extremely frightening. My nurse again said to me, Look, you don't need it. And Mr. Shelley is saying you don't even need to go. But I am doing it as a safety net and I am going to send you to a sperm bank in Glasgow. I was totally took aback with that as well. I remember going and I was like, I'll go myself. Well, you're going to go yourself. <laughs> Imagine that. Sorry if I threw my wife along. I mean, uh, <laughs> sorry about that. But you know what I mean? When you're going there, you're just sort of like, you're in there and you're like, this is weird. It was just such a weird situation to be in. And going there, they explain everything. They explain everything, the whole process and how it works. And I remember seeing how long they can freeze, uh, freeze your sperm for. And it's something like 50 years. I had to sign a forum saying that if I passed away, that Laura could then use my sperm if she wanted to have more kids. And I was just, I was just totally gobsmacked. Not in a bad way, but I was just like, it's insane how far we've came in the world that you can do these things. So the guy that was uh, taught, the the guy that was in there that was doing everything and talking me through everything and make me sign all the paperwork, he was roughly about the same age as me. And he said, he goes, look, Chris, hopefully you'll never need to use anything here. And it is like your, like your nurses say, it's like a safety net. And it's it's good to have that peace of mind that it's here. What we need to do was we need to use, we need to basically get one straw. I'm sure it was a straw they called it. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll call it a straw in this case, right? We need to get one straw to be able to like not call you back. If we don't, this was a Monday, I need to get you back by tomorrow. And I was like, right, okay. So you go in, it's not a sexy, sexy environment in any way. But you do what you have to do. And it's quite awkward at the end. You're just standing there going, Hi, um, I'm I'm finished. <laughs> like what the fuck? But anyway, he's like, look, Chris, your surgeries your surgery's in Wednesday, mate. So I'll be back to you this afternoon if there's any problems. I was like, right, okay. So off I went and I, again patiently waiting to hear that everything went well and like there was no issue. So he phoned me, my mate slagged me about this, he phoned me and he said, look, uh, Chris, just to let you know, everything was fine. I was like, oh, brilliant, hey, that's great. He says, now we said we only needed one, to, like, one straw basically so we could move on. He's like, you got 12. <laughs> I was like, 12? I was like, okay. So 
I, again, you you have to you just laugh in these situations. You're like, right, that's pro. Every cloud we positive there. So my mates have been calling me Red Rum. Like the <laughs> so the hot if they're into jockeys and stuff like that and horse racing, you'll get the joke. But that was that. So the next thing to do was go for the surgery. I asked my mum and dad if they would run me the surgery, and they did. It was in the Wednesday morning, and I just remember getting getting ready and getting a shower and just looking at my stomach and going and next time I wake up there's going to be a stoma bag on here it doesn't it didn't like the whole thing didn't feel real I gave Sophia a kiss I gave Laura a kiss but before I'd left the night before I, I remember saying to Sophia look I'm I'm going to need to I'm going to need to go away for a few days and as kids do, it was a why. And I just said to her, look, I need to go away for a, a few nights, but I'll be back very, very soon. But why? And only I could think of saying was, I need to go and fight some baddies. And she just gave me a big hug and I gave her a kiss. And that was her to sleep that night. I see, I left very early the next morning and my mum took me. I remember just dropping me off outside the hospital. As usual, my mum was like, do you want me to come up with you? I'm like, no, it's okay. Um, and she's like, no, no, I'm going to come up with you. And I'm like, okay. So off we went. And we sat outside in the waiting room. And then I went in. And do you know what? When I went in, I opened my bag and I took out that blessed cloth that had been given by my friend. I took out the crucifix that my nona had always given me to keep me safe. I took out the prayer card and I gripped him so, so tight. And I just prayed, prayed and prayed to God that this would go away and I would come out of this safe and I'd be back to my family. It's just a weird experience. Being there and knowing that you're going to get sliced open and you know you're going to get this took out of you. I don't know how... I, I don't know if how I would deal with it if they didn't fit me with my I think I would have still had the same feelings. But just when I was getting changed, I'm like, this is the last time my stomach's going to look like this. This is the last time it's going to be like this. This is the last time it's going to be like that. This is the last time you're going to do a shite in a toilet for God knows how long. Hopefully a stoma's only temporary. Oh my God. And it was all these thoughts started coming through your head. But anyway, I get changed into my robes and the gowns, or what you should call them, and they came round, the anaesthetist came round in the usual, they tell you all the horror stories that could happen, but they were, to be fair, they were all excellent. Even to the point I was getting wheeled in, they were excellent. They spoke through everything, and I felt very safe. I felt very safe. I remember seeing my surgeon just before I got knocked out, and he was just like nodding, he was just, just a big, nice guy. And that was me. Next thing I was... I wasn't in ICU. I was in the bit that you're in... After you come out of surgery. Don't know what that's called. And again, out my banger. On legal drugs. That they had given me. Just pointing that out. And in the background, I remember hearing people talking. And it was a woman's voice. And the voice I heard saying, Oh, I know a Chris Ferry. 
And obviously, obviously the nurse is talking. And the other nurse went, yeah, he's in over there. And she went, oh, no, the Chris I know is only in his 30s. And she says, so is that guy over there. After that, I'd fell back asleep. Then I woke up. And beside me was one of the girls I used to train. And she's like, Chris, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, you've not been to boot camp in a wee while. So I thought I'd better check up and make sure you're all right. Mr. Shally then phoned Laura and let her know the surgery had went well. He actually says it went brilliant. So that gave her a bit of peace in mind and he told her that that was me now in ICU and she could come up and see me. So Laura, my mum and dad came up to see me. Like I said earlier on, I was out my nut. And I remember lying there and saying to Laura, can you take these underarm and compression socks off me? And Laura's like, no, Chris, they're surgical socks. And I remember she says that I was being like cheeky chappy to the nurses and... Then I spewed. Then I fell asleep. So that was me until the next day. The next day... The next day was tough. I had a bit of a restless night. I remember the old man beside me. He was having a really hard time. And it's hard hearing somebody really struggle when you're sitting beside you. It didn't bother me, like, in getting no sleep, because you knew he was really suffering. And it's hard when you're lying there and you, you know how uncomfortable he was and how upset he was so the next morning I remember being quite tired but it was just a bizarre experience and around me was just tubes there was tubes coming out my arms there was tubes coming out my stomach I also had like a tube up my willy because obviously it's what's that what'd you call it I can't remember what that's called you know what I mean a catheter so you could pee fucking horrible man right so the nurse came round, and it was a male nurse came round with her, and they were talking away, and they get they basically were like to me, right, okay, so you want to get up, and I, I was I don't know why I just felt really flat, and I was like, oh, no, that's alright, I'll just I just lie here, and she's like, no, no, she's like, no, up we go, come on, and it's what I needed, uh, and. I laughed and she's like, hey, come on, you, your job's to get people up on their feet and get them moving, so let's get you up and moving, come on then. And I was like, right, okay. She goes, we're going to take this catheter out now. What an experience that was. Hello, that was interesting. So then I get whipped to it and then we got up and she's like, right, we're going to get you moving. So I got, she's like, do you want me to wash you? And I was like, ah, no chance, you. I was like, away you go. I said, I'll get washed myself. But we're laughing. And um, I did, I got washed. Uh, I got like, I washed myself. And then I put my basketball top on and my pyjama shorts. And she's like, right, so, I'm, I've phoned your, your mum, by the way, uh, and your wife. And I've told them, you have to, they can come up and see you. And I was like, all right, okay. She goes, um you're going to walk to the door and get them. And I was like, what? She goes, you are going to get up and you're going to walk to the door and you're going to get them. And in my head, I'm like, bloody hell. I was like, I quite like her. And sure enough, man, she hooked me under the arm, swung my legs off the bed and up I went. And don't get me wrong, it was agony. But we got up, tried to pee, couldn't pee. 
went back and I shuffled back to bed and then she was like, right, that's your mum and your sister at the door. And I remember shuffling up and I opened the door and my mum and my sister and my mum was just standing there like, I think she was as shocked as I was, like I was up and I was on my feet. But at that point I knew, I'm like, I'm not going to lie, I am not going to lie down to this. I am not going to lie down to this whatsoever. So that was us and that was me. I was only in high dependency for like one day and then they moved me to another ward. It was really hard when you get um, a moved ward. Not the fact that you moved ward, just the fact that you were in there. And at night it is, like you know when you're in hospital, it can be quite lonely. The first day was definitely a struggle because I was definitely I was trying to get my, my bladder to work again and you're in there giving your bladder a motivational chat to just try and start peeing again before they threaten to put a catheter back in. You're like, no, no, no. So you had that. You also had the fact that you now had a stoma. I'd never dealt with this before. Now, I haven't spoken about my stoma nurses they were and are amazing. These women were so good. They spoke to me. They taught me through everything. I remember breaking down to one of them and I remember her just giving me a, a big hug and her getting upset because she was like, you're the same age as my son. And look, Chris, I know we can never say everything's going to be all right, but look, look Chris, come on, we need to stay positive and she was just brilliant and they spoke me through it and they talked about how it would be temporary and I'm getting upset because I thought it would be there forever and these women were amazing and people that do have stomas I, I actually take my hat off to you I think you're amazing as well because it is a very very diff difficult thing to deal with it's a very big life changing experience but the women in that hospital absolutely amazing and I can't thank them enough. The guy I got, the nurse I got when I was in the new ward, didn't seem that interested in helping me with my stomach and it made me feel really awkward. I remember saying to him and he's like, oh, you just clean it. And I was like, I've never dealt with this before. Like, I don't know what to do. Obviously the stoma nurse is totally through, but it's your first time putting a stoma bag on you. And it's just weird. It's, it's just bizarre. So anyway, we dealt with that. And I remember I'm helping me back to bed. And I remember the pain just being, my stomach was just in agony. My body was in agony. So it was a rough couple of nights. And I don't think that really helped my mental health in any way. Because one of the nights I remember just being so upset messaging Laura. And this older male nurse was in. And I think he'd seen I'd been upset. And it was in the middle of the night and he was giving me my painkillers. And he just, I remember him sitting talking to me and he's like, you okay? And I didn't do my usual, yeah, I'm fine. I just went, just went, blah, blah, and just started opening up. And I'm like, no, I'm not all right. I was like, I can't believe this is happening to me. Blah, blah, blah. And it was just this, everything was just pouring out. And he sat and he listened. And once I'd stopped, he said to me, Chris, do you know that we're all talking about you in here? About how lucky a man you are? And how lucky they are that we found your bowel cancer, where they found it. He says it's like a miracle where they found it. And see if they didn't find that. And what it would have done. Because a very different situation. And he spoke loads to me. And I remember 
I just remember um, how much I appreciated the fact that he was there to listen to me and the fact that he was there to talk me down as well. And it shows you how amazing these people are at their jobs. And it really helped me mentally. It really did. We'd sort of avoided Sophia coming up to the hospital, but I struggled. I struggled to see. I struggled not to see her. It crushed me. I mean, I got my two girls, and like, I'm lucky if I've been away for the max two nights. I, I just, I can't, I'm just not very good at it. So I really, really found it difficult not seeing her. And Laura says to me, "Look, I think I'm going to try and bring Sophia up." And I was like, "Right, okay." So I remember her coming up. And I thought, I need to put one something by. So I put my baggy stuff on. So I put my big baggy Jets, New York Jets, American football top on. And she came in and she climbed up in the bed and she sat beside me. And she's like, Daddy, um, did you help Did you help your friend? And I was like, what, baby? She's like, did you help your friend? Did you, did you help your friend beat the baddies? I was like, yeah. And she's like, so you... You helped your friend Spider-Man? I was like, yes, yes, I did. I did. I, I helped Spider-Man and we beat the baddies. And she's like, and and they're not coming back? And I'm like, no, baby, no. And she goes, and you just cut, you come home? And I was like, uh-huh. I says, but once I come home, Daddy will get even more better and stronger. I says, you'll need to come back in here for one more, one more baddie to fight. And once we do that, that'll be the baddies gone. And she's like, is Spider-Man okay? I'm like, Spider-Man's fine. Where's Spider-Man? I was like, Spider-Man's in another hospital. He had to go to another hospital, but he's okay. And you know what? I tell this story and... It helps. It helps me a lot. And I know Sophia's getting older now. And I remember about... Couple of months ago, she says to somebody, eh, "My dad knows Spider Man," and they're like, "Spider Man's no real." And she came up to me and she says, "My daddy is Spider Man, not real." And I was, I was, and at that point, I didn't know what to do because how do you tell your child you had cancer? How do you how do you sit and tell a six year old that? And I didn't know what to do. And I remember talking to my therapist about it and I remember saying to her, because Sophia's asking about my scars more, Lucia asks about them, and Sophia still says, Lucia, that has been daddy was fighting the baddies. I told Sophia now that when I was in that I had um, I had a, um, I had something bad in my stomach and the doctor had to take it out. So we've moved on to that next stage now. I've still not told her the C word and I don't know when I will. But when I do, when I do, I'll keep you posted. But at the moment, we just say that I had something wrong in my stomach. A few weeks had passed, and I was waiting on this phone call. It was basically to hear if I needed chemotherapy or radiotherapy. I feel like again forever. Now they're obviously moving as quickly as they possibly can, but when you're sitting there waiting on the results, you're like, I wanted them yesterday. The main thing was we took it. The surgeon was saying, "Look, if we take enough, hopefully it hasn't spread into your lymph nodes, and we've taken enough out that it would be fine. Otherwise, we'd need to go through the whole treatments 
sitting beside it, and I was like, oh, which I was not looking forward to it whatsoever. Laura took me out this morning, and I remember in the afternoon, sorry, and she took me out, and it was for like a Greek meal she took me. I was just like, oh, I don't want anything to eat, Laura. I, I really can't be arsed eating. She's like, come on, Chris, let's let's try and get something eating that. And then the phone went, and it was my nurse. No chemo, no radiotherapy. Thank the Lord. Massive, massive weight lifted off both our shoulders. Now what we had to focus on was getting this stoma reversed. So, again, a few weeks had passed, and it was our wedding anniversary. So off we went, and we went up to the Radisson, and that's where we get married. So we were sitting there, the three years we were sitting there, and again, it took me all my time to get there. I was just really sore, didn't really want to leave the house, but Laura was like, come on. So off we went. It was a really dark night, our wedding anniversary is the 28th of November. So I remember her driving, and I'm like, you all right? And she's like, oh, it's just because it's really dark and windy. She just seemed dead nervous. We went in, sat down, ordered our food, and Laura put a bag out in front of me. And I was just like, oh, Laura, we, we said we were not doing anniversary presents. I, look, I'm no body in, I'm not been able to get out. Laura, come on. And she was like, no, look, I know, Chris, but look, just open it. So in it was this box. And I remember just opening the box and it was a pregnancy test and we were going to be parents again. And being an emotional wreck that I was, burst out greeting and do you know what? I was like, things are, things are looking up. So I was going to be a dad again. It was the best feeling in the world. I just remember going to tell my mum and dad and Laura's mum and dad and it was just like seeing all this darkness. There was just this, this light. There was this light seeing us through it. Now, if you know me, you know, I'm quite a confident guy. Uh, I love waffling and talking away. I love my job, my career. I love coaching. I love talking. I love speaking to people. When all this happened to me, I felt like I lost that all. Now, we'd opened that gym in October. Two weeks or something into it, I then was diagnosed. And I disappeared. Now, nobody had really seen me from when I went and got the operation till after that, because I'd sort of vanished away. I'd kept it secret and only my close friends and family knew about it. Then rumours started flying about. Rumours started flying about that Chris was, uh, had left Laura and they get, uh, Laura and Sophia. Um, Chris had broke his leg. Chris was going through a mental breakdown. Chris was, there was a really random one that Chris had went away to like Spain or Italy and left him. I know, like people love a rumour. So I decided that I'd post about it in social media. I wouldn't say I particularly wanted to do it, but I didn't want people talking about my family like that, and I didn't want people thinking these things. I wrote a post in hospital 
And the day I'd got the all clear, I posted it. It was insane the response it got. But I'm glad I did it. And I'm I'm glad that I cleared the air. The one thing I will say about this, now I'm four years down the line, I have not been able to go back into that post because the message in it I found really difficult to read. And people maybe say, you never liked any of my posts, you never liked my comment. But I put it on and I never looked back. Don't know what, how many likes it's sitting at, don't know how many comments it's sitting at, I don't know. But I had to clear the air. And it was just something I felt like I had to do. So now it was out in the open, knew I was going to be a dad. I now had to get back to my life. I had to get back to trying to be me and trying to move on. It was really difficult. Things I've not really spoke about much to people was how difficult I found it. I never really understood depression. I never really understood anxiety until all this happened to me. I never understood panic attacks. I mean, to me, a panic attack was just a... You're at it. Which is a shit attitude. Until you have one. And I was lying in bed. And I remember waking up. And I could hear this... And it was like my heart. And I was like, what the f- what is going on here? Now, again, as I say, I couldn't really move much. And I, <laughs> I just remember hearing this beat getting faster. And I could hear it, I could hear my heart. And I was like, what the hell is going on here? And I'd, I rolled out of bed and I was like, you're right? I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And I went in the bathroom and I was sweating. And I splashed my face with cold water. And I could just hear my heart getting faster and faster. And my hands starting to tremble. And I remember coming out of the bathroom, where a wee bathroom beside her bed, and I remember trying to like lie on the floor and Lord, what are you doing, by the way? You, what are you doing? You're going to hurt yourself, you're going to burst your stitches, what are you doing? And I was like, just need to lie down a minute, I need to lie down a minute. And then she says, I sprung up, I sprung up like Frankenstein. She goes, Oof, straight up, up I went, and she says, and I just ran down the stairs. Now, to me, that was very impressive, being considered sliced open. And she says, she was running after me. And she's like, Chris, Chris, Chris. And I, I remember taking the house phone and giving her it. And I'm like, Laura, please phone me an ambulance. I think I'm having a heart attack. I, I can't catch my breath. I can't catch my breath. And she didn't know what to do. And she was getting so upset. And I was getting upset because I knew she was pregnant. And I didn't want to get her upset and like get her anxious while she's pregnant. Oh my God, like what if we lost the baby? Because I was getting her upset. And all these thoughts were running through my head. And then she said, I ran away back up the stairs. And she's like... You wouldn't even think you'd been operated. You were moving so quick. And I ran back upstairs and I phoned my friend. And I remember phoning her and I was like, can you help me? Can you help me? I think it's this cannabis oil I've been taking. I think this has made me have... And she was like, Chris. And she's a very, very very intelligent woman. And she's like, Chris, calm down. I want you to take your fingers and I want you to put them in your wrist. Now, her boyfriend it took panic attacks and she knew how to deal with them. So I took my fingers in my wrist and I was counting my beats. And she was talking to me so calmly and so softly. And then gradually I calmed down and I slowed down. It's not nice. 
And it's not a nice experience whatsoever having a panic attack. It's not a nice experience not wanting to be able to leave the house. It's not a nice experience lying from being a very active man to then what to just lie on the couch, getting just so upset, like just bursting out crying, just feeling nervous about leaving the house. I remember two of my friends inviting me out and saying, look, come on, we'll take you for dinner. And I remember saying, look, I'll go down. Um, I says, that's fine. Picked me up at the gym. And I'd asked my dad to pick me up at the gym. And I remember crying all the way down to the gym. And my dad was like, you're not going in here. And I, I remember him stood at the gym. And I was like, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And I left. And he was raging. And I left and I basically ran out of the car, went into the gym. And I remember walking into the gym got into the studio and there was a class going on and I put my fake smile on, smelled to everybody and then I disappeared behind the desk and I cried. And then I, luckily at that point my friends phoned me and says, oh, Chris, what's us outside? And I was grey. I went and they took me to this beautiful restaurant and I could hardly eat. I was in agony. I felt sick. I was tired and I went home. This was weird for me. It was just a weird place to be. And I just got to the stage where I didn't want to leave the house. A big one was my mate, my friend Jamie came over and he surprised me and I remember coming in one day and he was just sitting on my couch. Now, my friend Jamie lives in America and I remember opening the door and he was just sitting there and it was December and he was just like, how you doing, mate? And the two just gave each other the biggest hug and it was amazing to see him. And on on the on that occasion, he was like, look, we're all going to go out for dinner. And the way it was described to me, it was his fiancée and Laura and I were going to go, we're going to go to Glasgow and we're going to go for dinner. And I remember lying on the couch that night and I was like, Laura, can you just tell Jamie I'm not going? And just tell him just, I, I can't make it tonight. And Laura's like, please, Chris, please, 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 let's just go. And I was like, no, no, I'm not going. And she was like, I'm begging you, let's, let's, come on, you'll feel better when you get out, come on, let's just do this. So I went upstairs and I got a jumper and I was in such a nervous wreck, I'd put my jumper on back to front and inside out. I'd get in the car, put my jacket on and we drove to this restaurant and in we went and there was all my friends and my family and I turned around to Jamie and I was like, how good is this? They're all here for you for you coming home. And he's like, Chris, you're a dick. They're not here for me. They're here for you. And my friend Ian had organised a surprise dinner for me. And I remember just sitting there and everybody just just being there, just everybody being there. And it was just such a great time. And But I remember having to put my hands under the table because they couldn't stop shaking. I couldn't stop shaking. I tried to grab, I had a glass of wine. I remember trying to drink this wine and it, you'd think it, there was a earthquake the way my hand was shaking. It was ridiculous. And at that point, I was like, I need to, I need to address this. We'd went into the Merchant Square after it. And it was certainly that was my first occasion properly being out away from my house or in an area where it was really, really busy and the pub was mobbed, and I remember going in this pub, 
and the disabled toilet been locked and I'd nowhere to change their stoma bag and I had a panic attack and I ran out of the pub and I ran to all these different pubs I remember just locked myself in the disabled toilet in this random pub changing my stoma bag and just thinking I can't go back out here and this was this type of things that were happening quite a lot after that it was really hard I remember phoning Eleanor in the uh, in the December and saying to her that I couldn't I couldn't keep doing this I didn't know what to do I wasn't me and she said to me look I've I knew you'd phone because physically you have came out of the surgery the quickest we've ever seen the MD come out of that surgery so you've came you went in the hospital and you bounced back one of the quickest but now it's about your head and now it's about the mental battle I think that's the thing people seen me and just assumed I was fine they assumed when I'd put on my face and my cheeky chappy chat and everything like that that I was okay looking at me you wouldn't think there was there was anything wrong with me I know I had this I had my stomach bag I was sore but a lot of people just assumed there was nothing wrong with me and it was the same in hospital I remember coming out and I was in the, the last ward I was in my mate's sister got me uh, a cracking bed by the way it helps to know people in hospital she had my bed beside the window you seen the wee rabbits run over the hill and I remember being in that hospital and I had my wee toilet bag and I was going out in the morning and there was a guy across from me and he'd broke his leg he'd smashed his knee because he'd fell on tiles in the house because he was pissed and he was hor- He was a horrible man. Horrible man. The way he spoke to the nurses was disgusting. But then he says to me one day, I'd got up to get... I'd went to go to the toilet. And previous, just before that, he was arguing with one of the nurses because he wanted them to take him to the toilet because he says he couldn't walk there. And they were saying, look, you need to get used to moving. Your legs are stooky, but you need to get used to actually moving. You can't be bedbound. And he was wanting them to basically physically lift him up take him to the toilet and bring him back and they're like look no you're able to do it you just need to move and I remember taking my wee toilet bag in my arm and it had all the different stoma bags and it had my toilet kit so I had basically two wee toilet bags and off I went and I was going up and they were like that and I mean look at him look at him what the fuck's up with him and he's in here eh what the fuck's up with him Um. and I remember coming back for the, the bathroom after I had a shower and he went hey mate what the fuck's up with you? What are you in here for? Nothing up with you. You could be home. And I went, oh, I know, mate, hopefully I will get home. Hopefully I'll go home soon. And he's like, so what are you in for, any? Hey, what are you in for? And I was, oh, I had bowel cancer. I got an operation. I got a stoma fitted. And he just went, boof, grey. After that, he was lovely to me. He was asking me about wanting to watch on TV that night. <laughs> like, stuff like that. But it just shows you, don't judge a book. And I've been very much like that. Like, don't judge a book. Don't judge the way somebody looks by, like, thinking they're fine. And that's why I'm very, very big on mental health. I'm very big on... People can look fine from the outside and seem fine, but you don't know what's going on up there. So...
the January came and I had two failed attempts at reversing my stoma. I absolutely fell apart because to me that meant this stoma's here forever. I'd probably say having the stoma bag I didn't cope well at all with it and that's why I respect people so much that have got them. I just didn't cope well with it at all. And I remember on the the second failure, I remember the surgeon, they go in and it was basically to check that um, they could reverse it. And what had happened is there was so much scar tissue in my bowel that they couldn't do it. So he was just like, send them away and we'll just book them in again. And I'm like, what? what? But why? And he went, I'll talk to you after it. You've had too much medication. Like, we'll talk to you after it. And he never did. And I remember lying in that bed, like, talking to the nurses and saying, is this me forever? I got to the point where the nurse had to go and get Eleanor. And Eleanor came down. And Eleanor had phoned Laura to come and get me. And Eleanor's like, look, we're going to get this sorted, Chris. And she booked an appointment with me, her and Mr. Shally and myself and Laura to speak about my reversal and it was my own fault I'd went back to work too early and I've never really told them the, the reason why I'd I, I'd went back to work early because not long after my surgery I'd been paying for an insurance that I thought would pay out and it never did so our savings get absolutely pounded we just opened this gym. We've got a young daughter. We've not got much money coming in. It was a very difficult time. So I thought, I need to go back. And Laura always says to me, like, I totally regret you talking me around letting you go back into work. And I did, because I was going back into boot camp and I was shouting and I was getting people demoing for me. And see, during these sessions, I had to sit down halfway through some of them because I just couldn't do it. I was in the agony. But that was partly why these reversals were getting delayed and delayed. Third attempt, though. I remember the day before we went to see Mary Poppins and I couldn't even focus on the film. Sophia was buzzing, Laura was buzzing and I loved looking at Sophia's wee face all the way through the show, but in my head I was just like, this needs to get reversed, I need to do this, I need to get back to being me, I need to do this. I remember waking up and tapping my side and there was no stoma bag. It was just... I was like, this is brilliant. It, I've, there's no failed attempts. It's went through. It's not there anymore. I'm telling you, when it happened previous to that, and I woke up and I tapped my side and the stoma bag was still there, the nurse had to try and calm me down. I was so angry. I was effing and blinding and just... I was just distraught. I was gutted, gutted it was still. But see, this time, I was like, oh my God. And Laura came in the room and I remember giving me a big hug and she's like, and she burst out crying. She's like, you look like you again. You look like you. And I was, I was like, I feel like me. I feel like me. And I knew that I was going to be me. I was never going to be the same me. I was going to be a new me. And I was going to be a better me. After this, I really worked on trying to fix my head. 
in the December I'd went to all different things. I'd went to different city, like charities with like uh, counsellors and therapists and I just felt like none of them were working. In the January, Eleanor sent me and I went for I went for Reiki. Which I'd never been for before. And I really enjoy it. One of my friends actually from the gym suggested Laura suggested to Laura that I came for Reiki at her practice and I did that as well and it helped me massively. I did this for quite some time. I went to the therapist up at the, the hospital and until one day where I forgot I had an appointment and I just never went back. Now maybe it was the wrong thing to do but I stopped for a while because for a while I felt that I could be me and for a while I felt I was getting a lot better and I was. It was very, very hard to adjust after having a bill cancer, actually having the stoma bag, but everything was getting better. As I see, with my friend Ross, I'd met up with him all the way through it. And Ross was Ross was getting he was getting worse. To the point where he was he was in hospital and it was the April. So it was the end of January, February I had my operation and by the April I remember going up and seeing Ross and it was the last time I seen him. But all the way through my treatments and all the way through my surgeries, he would always phone me, he'd always make sure that I was okay. He would always say to me, I'm the only one that will understand but you will always have light at the end of your tunnel. And it was really hard. He's like, I've accepted that I'm not going to be here, Chris. But you will be. So please always talk to me. And I did. It's just very, very hard situation going through when one of your friends is terminal. And you you know that you can recover from this. You feel like an element of it, like, you feel, you feel guilty, you feel, I spoke about this to a few people, like, that have had cancer, sometimes you feel like a bit of a fraud, because, yours, wasn't as bad as theirs, and it sounds really stupid, it's, it does sound stupid, and no way would you want it to be bad, but you're just, if, because you were able to, recover and you didn't maybe need to go for the chemo maybe that's part of the reason why I found it so hard to talk about it but it's happened and it happened to me and I've lost a friend to cancer I've lost family to cancer I've had cancer and I'm very very lucky and I am a very very lucky man like that nurse said to me on the August Laura gave birth to Lucia and I remember sitting there and we were looking at names and I knew I wanted... I'd looked at girls' names because I knew I was going to have another girl. We hadn't... We didn't... I just knew in my gut, my new gut, that we were going to have another girl. And I decided that I would love to name her Lucia because Lucia means light in Italian. And she was the light that kept Laura, Sophia and all my family and I keeping going. Things happen for a reason. 
maybe me having cancer was God telling me something. Maybe he was telling me to slow down. Maybe he was telling me to change my path. But as shit as having cancer was, I was blessed to have a daughter, another daughter out of it. I was blessed to look at life completely different. Like, I'm not kidding when I say this and I write this sometimes, but see, after you have such a traumatic thing happen to you like that, life is different. It's not the same. I know my circle has went... It has went smaller, but not in a bad way. I, my family has got closer. My friends have got closer. I'm... I now appreciate how lucky a man I am to beautiful daughters, beautiful wife, amazing family, successful career, like why well, I feel it's successful and but how do you judge success? My success is the fact that I, I'm blessed to be a dad. I mean that's the most successful thing I, I'm ever going to be able to do, like being a father. Do you know what I mean? Because it means the world to me. I look at things completely differently now. Before I would say I was very hot-headed. Now I feel I rationalise th- things a lot more. I always get this saying where I say it's not my monkey because now I believe I shouldn't need to carry certain people's problems that are not mine. Life is different. Not in a bad way. In a good way. Life will constantly change. Recently... I was told that I was type 2 diabetic and then I remember sitting with the nurse and her saying to me, I know it's really life-changing and I was like, nah, I've had worse. And she was like, what? And then she had obviously seen my notes. I mean, having a below being told you were type 2 diabetic is, again, life-changing. But have I had worse? Of course I have. I've been throwing a lot of blows in life, a lot of punches, but my main thing is just constantly getting back up. I'll always make sure that I can land on my back. There's that saying, if you can land, if you can land in your back, if you get knocked down, make sure you can land in your back. So if you can land in your back, you can look up. If you can look up, you can get up. And that's the thing that I keep doing. Life is always going to be interesting. If things didn't constantly happen, it would be a pretty boring place. So, thanks very much for spending your time listening to this podcast I really appreciate it I appreciate the fact that you've sat through it it just took a lot for me to do but I'm really glad I've done it because it's something that I know I've had to speak about it's something that I've avoided I've procrastinated over doing this podcast and this means a lot to me doing this so This is episode one of my brand new series and I'm so glad to be back. Ciao.